A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On this edition, Dortmund may be less sexy than Ruud Hullit, but they did do the job at St. James's Park. Can they relive their glory days in Europe? Also, how good are the Italian runners and riders for the title of European champions looking at this stage? And I know it's unheard of, but can two European giants go down in the same season? Well, Andy, you've just come back from the northeast, a somewhat subdued St. James's Park against Dortmund, what was the feeling like in the stadium? Well, I guess in terms of the atmosphere, you, you, you're right. It was always going to be difficult to follow the, the, the PSG game because that was Barcelona 1997 sort of, of levels. But I guess it's the difference between hope and expectation. Last time there was a, a, a lot of the former. This time there was a, a bit more of the latter. But it was always going to be the challenge for Dortmund. Could they dampen the atmosphere and they did that very well now of course they come from a stadium which has one of the very best atmospheres in in, in world football so if you're looking at players like um, Marco Royce Mats Hummels there's nothing at St James's Park even if it's fiercest that was going to particularly surprise them if anything that was going to happen to knock them off stride it would have been on the pitch it would have been the intensity of the way that Newcastle played you know the intensity with which they played against PSG 
they, they, they were barely containing their emotions. You know, at times it nearly tipped over. You look at Bruno Guimaraes and a couple of bits that he got up to. But from a Dortmund perspective, if you're looking at a Dortmund team who was suited to this sort of situation, then this would probably be it. Because I think we still think of Dortmund as the club that Jurgen Klopp took to the Champions League final in, in, in 2013. It's very different Dortmund now, isn't it? Way different Dortmund. Yeah. And I think in terms of like the, the crash bang wallop, you don't really get that anymore with, with Dortmund. Now, at their worst, it looks quite slow and laboured. It looked like that when they got knocked out of the Champions League by Chelsea at the last 16, last season. It looked like that when they got turned over in, in Paris and they, you know, with barely a whimper on, on match day one this, this time around. But funnily enough, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, in fact, since that first game, when Marco Royce had a little cameo as substitute, and at 34 years old, 30, nearly 34 and a half years old, and maybe even playing his last season, who knows, he is a player that manages to bring that extra zip in the right areas. Now, they're never going to be a pressing team. They weren't under Lucien Favre, um, they haven't been under Terzic over two spells. They weren't under Marco Rosa either. But the inclusion of Royce means that when they get the ball in the final third, then the ball can move quickly because he's always got ideas. And the fact that he's 34, it doesn't really make any difference. We saw that in the goal, actually. And, you know, Dortmund aren't really a brilliant counter-attacking team at the moment, especially with Adeyemi not playing particularly well and being on the bench. And he's the fastest player they have. But Royce dropping out into that role behind the centre-forward and finding those spaces, he's so good at doing that. And we, we saw that with the the Metro goal that won the game. The fact that um, Schlotterbeck wins the ball quite riskily on the halfway line, but he does win it. And he gives it to Royce and he knows that if he keeps going, he'll get it back quickly. And that's what happens. And Schlotterbeck ends up creating the goal for, for Metcher, which is a, a really terrific finish in the end. But I think for those who aren't regular Dortmund watchers and those that have seen Dortmund implode in various moments, not least the final Bundesliga game of last season, to associate them with defensive stability, which they had most of that night. And even Schlotterbeck. Seems really... When he won it, was a sort of moment to think, given, given his recent history. <laughs> I, the thing is, he's a defender who looks like a prince 75% of the time, and the other 25% of the time, you need to hang on to your hat. Yeah, well, what's that recent history that we need to refer to in that? In that well, respect? I mean, he's just a player that, of the word or the phrase, error-prone. Has uh, <laughs> never never been more fitting, <laughs> but not but, but not this week. But, no, no. Uh, I mean, but that that was in that sense he kind of um, personified the whole display, right? Onto what Andy's saying there about how um, you know you wouldn't whatever about defensive uh, stability. Just in a sense, this was actually quite a vintage European performance in the sense of going away from home, setting up in a very canny manner. And doing a bit of a tactical number on the opposition. Okay, fair enough. They got lucky in the last five minutes with two efforts to hit the bar. But I think on the whole, they were they were very deserving winners from what was basically Eddie Howe being out thought on the night. Um, and again, as Andy says, it's maybe not something he'd associate with, with this Dortmund. It's probably, it's probably a bit of a result the Champions League actually needed, I think, this season as well. 
uh, for for all sorts of kind. I think it's actually been, with some exceptions or some groups, it's been a relatively dull group stage. This had been one of the, or had been billed as one of the tighter groups, but there was at least a danger that it could just split into, uh, you know, two state-owned clubs streaking away. Definitely. Yeah, and, and, and now this, this specific result has turned it right round. I think that's it. Uh, you look at the first couple of Dortmund games and forget about the defensive bit for, for a minute. Not only did they not score in those first two games against uh, PSG and Milan, they didn't often look like scoring yeah, either, yeah. Which, which is the bigger problem. You know, whereas they, they created decent chances last night. And Nick Pope had a pretty good game as well. It, well, both goalkeepers did, I thought. But yeah. um, when both of you were talking, I don't know if you noticed that you both are throwing in a caveat, which seems to be, look, Dortmund beat Newcastle, but you're not altogether convinced about what their progress might well, be. Well, That's I, what I'm hearing. In I suppose the case. thinking there is that, and maybe this is a bit of the nature of this group as well, and also actually how with kind of modern telecommunications and how we consume football, home advantage actually isn't what it was. But it's just as possible that Newcastle go to Dortmund now and just flip it right round, especially mm. now there's a pressure and urgency on it. Um, although, actually, that said, I, I think a, I think something that influenced last night was the fact that Dortmund are well used to the rigours of playing weekend to midweek in European football and Newcastle weren't. Because it's around now, once the initial um, excitement from, from the start in the Champions League starts to fade, this is where you got to kind of get into the reality of it, which is the week-to-week stuff. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think this bit is, is, is so fascinating. You know, the sort of middle bit of the group stages where you get match days three and four. It's almost like a knockout tie. You play the same team home and away. And it's the bit that what you did in the first two games doesn't really matter. You know, you can shape, you can change everything yeah. in those in in those games three and four. And if Newcastle want to go through, like of course they could get beaten at Dortmund and and, and still go through. But if they did get beaten at Dortmund, I don't think they would mm. because I, I think this is the potential three and four to really knock the stuffing out of you. And I, I guess you look at other clubs like Shakhtar playing Barcelona twice in three and four. Um, Galatasaray playing yeah, Bayern yeah. twice after their, their it excellent It can ruin start. momentum. Yeah, yeah. It, it can. It can completely take it out of you. And it's taken it out of you know bigger teams than than those. And that's where Dortmund, as you say, Miguel, have to bring their experience to bear. But I think the fact that they do play in this slower, more considered way, it does enable them to be better at grinding out results. It's what they did against Werder Bremen on the Friday. And I think previous incarnations of Dortmund throw everything at that game, for yeah, example. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not even thinking about the fact they've got Champions League next week. They're thinking, right, we have to win this game because it's Werder Bremen, we should be beating them. But there was never really a sense of panic in that game. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it took until midway through the second half to get the the winning goal by Julian Brandt. And uh, by the way, missing the two Julians, Riasson and, and Brandt, was a, a huge blow for Dortmund ahead of this game. And they managed to, to ride it out quite impressively, two of their most influential players. But in that game on Friday night, they just took their time. They thought, okay, if we keep plugging away, the goal will come and it will be fine. And you never felt that. Even with really good Dortmund sides in the past, there was always that need to force, force, force the issue. Yeah. And again, we go back to the last day of last season against Mainz. They, they tried way too hard to do that, quite unsuccessfully. So maybe... They've actually learned a lesson from that. I mean, you can't really say that on the basis of of just one performance or one part of the performance because, you know, they did a bit of vintage Dortmund with their 
completely losing their defensive bearings at the end of that game against Newcastle, which could have cost them in a game that, you know, they they, they just about deserve to win. I wonder, though, and in reading um, Andy's piece ahead of the game in The Guardian, he, he was uh, suggesting that the Dortmund aren't sexy. You know, they get the job done, but they're not sexy. Edin Terzic's words, not mine. Oh, weren't you always? I saw that quote and I thought, oh, that sounds like Andy Brassel. I'll take that. <laughs> less, back then. less sexy, more successful was, was, was his that, phrase. Yeah, yeah, well, they are less sexy, but more successful. I wonder what they do now going forward. First of all, in their defence against the rematch uh, with Newcastle, I imagine that they're going to be even less sexy than they were at St. James's Park. I actually thought that some of the, certainly their goal at St. James's Park was quite sexy, to be honest. But well, that's, now, that's just Marco Royce. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's that's going to be a good. tense game, though, isn't it, the return? Yeah. I think, I think it will be. The way Newcastle, I mean, because Newcastle's actually, because it's an away game, Newcastle's apparently probably nothing got beaten. I think they tried and snatched something, maybe, in the way they sort of played at Milan. And for Dortmund as well, they kind of have, I mean, they'll probably, they'll probably set up similar to last night, you'd think. Yeah, and I think they should. Yeah. But I think with Newcastle, it's not, you know, Eddie Howe needs to have a think and say, it's not, it's not the worst result in the world. If they, yeah. if, if they go out there and, and get a draw, the, the group's still really open. And the priority for, for, for them, just to come away from Dortmund for a second, has to be to get that third spot, really, to keep playing in Europe yeah. after Christmas. Because the Europa League is a competition that I think Newcastle would stand a pretty good chance of yeah. winning. And you might argue with improvement of Tottenham particularly in the, in, in the Premier League this season that might actually be their best route to Champions return League, to the yeah, Champions League yeah. but Dortmund are we likely to see a Dortmund change the way that they play as they progress if they progress well, forward uh, one thing that's worth saying on all this especially as a Terzic I mean what it's, it's only about four weeks ago when I had people in football saying to me <laughs> that there were other managers being considered. Yeah. Uh, and like it, it, it did seem like he was, I mean, I, th- I think at one point it was almost like expe- expectation he might get sacked in the in the uh, September international break. They had so, a massive crisis meeting yeah. and I think the best thing to happen for him following that was Julian Nagelsmann getting the Germany Yeah, job. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, took a, it took a bit of the pressure off. Yeah, yeah. That was exactly it. It was that weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, of course, let's be real now. Uh, we're talking about finances. As you progress, uh, finances come more and more sharply into play, it seems. Borussia Dortmund don't have the finances of the likes of uh, PSG or Newcastle, etc. Um, can they then relive the glory days of the past? Ten years ago, for example, when they and Atletico Madrid were the two teams, the surprise dark horses, if you like, who kept reappearing in the Champions League. Uh, uh, has the league changed drastically since then? Yeah, and I think I think both those clubs' um, means, aims and expectations have, have, have changed. Because if you think of, like, Atletico, uh, you think of Dortmund getting into the final in, in 2013, um, Atletico doing it in 2014 and 2016 they were two teams who in a way kind of defined the era didn't they they defined the champions league era and it, it doesn't they have to excitement be excitement into it yeah they they, 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 they did they did and but i think what happens is when you win everyone needs to get paid and the dimensions change at that point because of course the widely quoted statistic about the dortmund team that um, won the won the double in 2012, having won the league in 2011, and then got to the 2013 Champions League final. Is they had a lower wage bill than QPR at the time? 
I feel pretty sure that that's no longer the case. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's the, the thing. You start shopping at a, a higher level. You know, they got past that and after buying back Royce for a lot of money for Borussia Mönchengladbach, who sort of crosses over those two eras, uh, you then get to Mkhitaryan. Then you get to the money they wasted on Immobile and Ramos trying to replace Lewandowski. And signings become bigger and not necessarily better. And Atletico, on the other hand, have become so beholden to the Champions League money. Yeah. What was a bonus for them is now their their lifeblood. And of course, as you say, Dotton, football changes on the pitch as well. So what worked for you before doesn't necessarily work now. You, you have to evolve. But but I mean, also, because this is something that is often, I think, maybe overlooked, but it's important to point out in just, I mean, you, you talk about, the, it's not just the kind of about the gaps. It's also about how the game is inflated. So the last time, I've actually looked this up, uh, I, went, I went through this for a while. The, the, the last time that a club with a revenue of less than 200 million actually got to the final itself was Atletico Madrid. So now, I mean, we are in a situation, okay, Inter got there last year, revenue of 300 million euro. But I think the average to win the Champions League over the past five, six years, it's been over 500 million. I mean, mm. this is the level we're talking about. And so while more money comes into the game, it just inflates and it's most of it goes towards a group of top clubs. And that kind of, that pyramid narrow, it's, it's increasingly narrower at the top. And whereas before, clubs like Dortmund or Atletico, even if they earned less, and even if they were still in more in touching distance at that top end, now it's just, it's, it's, it's always that bit harder to make up the financial gap. And as well, if you're Dortmund, for example, with that below elite means, you have to spend your money better than this they have. It. Over, over the last but, but, couple of years. But this, I think this is often overlooked as well. Even all these model clubs, and there's been various, of the, for, for, you're looking through the Premier League, through the Bundesliga, through, uh, through the Champions League itself. There's, like, there's always a club that for about four or five years, they crack it. Mm. And then they get criticised and they fall away. But the, the issue there really is, it's as, it's as you point to Andy, that every single move they make, especially when they're trading, has to be perfect. Mm. And when they get that one wrong move, it can send them into a tailspin, particularly if it's one where they suddenly, okay, we'll go a bit bigger this time. Uh, You've seen part three. We're going to get to this. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> it's, it's interesting what uh, Dortmund's CEO, Hans-Joachim Watzke, has said that he couldn't imagine Erdin Terzic as the manager of Dortmund for years, years to come. And this is, remember the quote, that wasn't attributed to you anymore, were less sexy but more successful. I do wonder, Miguel, if that isn't the way that both Dortmund and Atletico have to reimagine their contributions within the, uh, the Champions League, that, okay, they have to play football that gives results to them so they can get as far as possible. My own belief is that the sexy football gets you where you need to go to. Go to. But of course, you can go all defensive and suddenly think uh, the main thing uh, is to... Well, it, crea- it creates not- a brand, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I suppose you could argue. I mean, if, if you argue how like Dortmund captured people's hearts in, in, in the first place, they're not going mm. to anymore. Yeah, in in a, in a in a in a very different way. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to. But do they have to um, re- resort to a sort of a defensive, more defensive play? Well, to I, be able see, to stay I, I mean, for, 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 for first of all, I would say that's as Andy points it out, it's self defeating because a big thing about clubs now is creating. I mean, especially when commercial profile is so massive, to have some sort of football identity that's actually important. So if you're going to be renowned as some as a dull team. 
That, that's not great in the modern era. Although but, that might get you to the final. Well, but, but it's a bit, but it's a medium to long-term effect, though. Uh, um, but, but also, I think we're actually in, after about fif- 15 years of where a very traceable evolution in, football, in, tact- in the history of football tactics, we're at a bit of a point of flux now. Because it did almost feel like we were at a bit of an end-of-history point, if you like, where that kind of Catalan, du- uh, Dutch, Spanish pressing possession had become the standard. And if that was executed in its, in its maximum, it was almost unplayable, which basically started, which essentially destroyed Mourinho's career at the top level. Now, the first re- major response to that was Dortmund's Gagan pressing, which is obviously very different to that kind of ultra-defensive uh, modern Catanaccio approach. But now it feels like we're seeing more specific response. I mean, Deserbi's being ex- a big example, but it's interesting. I was talking to someone in Italian football the other day who was saying, like, for all the praise Deserbi gets, we've got six managers like that in Italy. <laughs> because, I mean, less money often means uh, means more creativity or more innovation. And, uh, of course, like baiting the press has become big. And baiting the press, it can look exceptional if the other team's willing to attack. If they're not, it can create a very dull game. So, so I, do, I think we're in, a, we're in a bit of a case of... Um, it's it's it's, in, it's going to be interesting where, where it goes next. I think the other thing is, mm. if we're talking about brands, Dortmund's brand is something different. They are known, I think, less for their football and more as rearers of young players now. So if you go backwards and you look at Bellingham and then you look at Holland, players who became superstars or certainly got on the road to being superstars there, but despite filling their personal boots didn't necessarily make the team successful. You could say, okay, Bellingham got them to the the, the, the brink of the Bundesliga before he got injured last season, and, and that's, a, that's a fair point, even though it would have been the lowest points total for a Bundesliga champion in, in, in a very long time. Different discussion. But I think if you look back at how they... I don't know if misuse Haaland's talent is really the right way of framing it, but they... they the, the, the two didn't really benefit each other as much as they might have done. Certainly not in a team sense and in a winning stuff sense. I, I guess you could wonder if Dortmund now defending like they did for most of last night had Holland at the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's something and- successful. But in terms of like the, the rearing those stars of the future, it's like you look you look at Metcher for example, who has been fated for a while, came through the academy at Man City. Um, it looked like his older brother Lucas would be the better one for a bit and like Felix has sort of accelerated past him and he was the one who got the big move to, to Dortmund this summer. Now, they really need it to work. It's too much to expect him to be a Bellingham replacement, of course. But moments like that last night where he can make that exciting break into the box, I mean, I don't think anyone really cares about the defensive stuff he does. It's important for the team, but in terms of, you know, platforming an exciting young player. That's not the bit that's going to get him the headlines, I think it's fair to say. But they, they've invested a lot in him and they really need it to work for more than one reason and more just for the expediency of the team, I think. Yeah, fan de circle. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to say that. <laughs> A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Much of what we've said, in fact, you've already touched on it, Miguel. You mentioned Inter and that conversation we were having a moment ago about Dortmund. It feels like Inter are falling into that same category of team now. That, Well, what do you expect of them? They, they'll go somewhere in the Champions League, but they're not going to win it. So it's a case of how do they play their football meanwhile? I mean, that's how I look at it. And not just Inter, you could argue... Um, although they're far behind Inter, um, that Milan are also struggling. They're almost on par, you would say, with Dortmund in the Champions League. You know, the, the Italian teams, given that Inter uh, got to the Champions League final last time around, and the Italians have always been part of the staple diet of the Champions League, I just wonder how those teams are doing now. The teams that don't have the top dollar uh, the 500 million euros that you mentioned, how far they're likely to get in the Champions League? Have we, has their era passed somewhat? Well, I mean, I'm not sure, I mean, it, we're in a completely different era of football, really. Uh, and I suppose it's, a, it's an era of football where, I mean, if you, if you look at the landscape, it's basically the Premier League, Bayern, Paris Saint-Germain, and the two Spanish giants. And they're kind of, that, that is the elite level. Uh, and it's almost, it's almost a case of just be, if, you, if you get into the Champions League because you're in the Premier League, you will be one of the potential challengers because there's so much more money, which means the kind of the, the the playing quality is going to be so much higher. Now there is a variance there this season because we've got two 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 teams in Arsenal and Newcastle who are back in the Champions League after some time, particularly Newcastle and also Manchester United are again a basket case, which creates a little bit of an opening. Uh, and then and 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 from that, that's when once you get to the knockout stage. Uh, there can be, there is at least a chance to do something as Inter did last year. I think it's inter- interesting with Inter because while sadly uh, you put all those Italian clubs on that tier below, but of course Juve- Juventus could have maybe pushed themselves in, into that Bayern bracket before they signed Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Inter evidently at this point, and it could, this is a very valuable skill, now drawing on a fair bit of both knockout experience and Champions League experience. They kind of, it feels like they, they, they know how to play this competition now. Yeah, definitely. I would agree that with Inter. I think it's difficult to judge quite how good they are in a European sense at the moment because the group they're in this season compared to the group 
they were in last season, the one with uh, Bayern and, and PSG. It's just far easier. So uh, you, you get the you get they the were fact, in the group of death last season, yeah, basically, but they uh, got through uh, it, and, and they got through it. But I think if you look at them now, they're doing just enough in in these games. I, th- I think it's fair to say they haven't been sensational no, in, in in any of them. I mean, uh, the, the Benfica game on match day two is slightly misleading because they beat them one nil. It, it should really be a four nil. They're so much better than them, and um, I think the thing that has convinced me so far about Inter in this group. And, you know, they've been brilliant domestically. They deserve to be top of the league. I think, as we were saying with Nicky the other week, had a brilliant transfer window, which I think has strengthened them. And when you consider some of the players that that have left, that that's quite a laudable feat. But I think when you look at the depth they have, that's what's impressive. That's what really helped them last season. And they've not lost any of that depth. So you look at Alexis Sanchez, who has had a sort of false start to his, his his second career at Inter, but came in and 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 scored in this game. Someone who can bring intensity. And I, I guess like you look at the way that he conducted the tempo of how Marseille played last season, which is why they were so sorry to lose him. He won't have that same role at Inter because your first choice front two is always going to be Turam and Lautaro. And it has to be because they're the two best strikers on the book and they click really well together already. But to have a game like this where, as Alexis gets older, if you can use him more sparingly, so he's got loads in the tank, and it's like he's been fed on raw meat, really. You see the way that he flies into this it's game against Salzburg. Yeah, scores, mean, scores the opening goal. But it's it's not just about the goal, and it's not just about him playing well. It's about him setting that tempo, which is is something that's, I think hugely valuable. And I think if you look at Inter next to Napoli and Milan, and I'm not just talking about the results or the performances this week, although th- those certainly back up the argument. It feels to me, Miguel, that Inter are far more of a possible contender than either Napoli or or Milan. Oh yeah, completely. Uh, and I suppose there's an element. I mean, Milan, it just... Well, obviously they're in this kind of longer term build-up. Uh, and I think what they're doing is quite clever. For the moment, there's still just that feeling they're a bit of a soft touch, mm. at a European level at least. At, at absolute elite level. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of how they, even even in the semi-final against Inter, they just, I didn't really look ready for the occasion, did they? No, and, no. Uh, no uh, you, could, you, could you say the same when they played at Paris Saint-Germain last night? Yeah, completely. I mean, this is, this is and, and, it's, and again, harking back to the past, I suppose, really. but like from a land to be, I was, I was thinking about it when we were, kind of thinking, when we were saying it there, about how the, the group could have split into two state-owned clubs in Dortmund and Milan. I mean, right, obviously the, the Qatari takeover of Paris Saint-Germain changed their history and their future and the future of kind of European football. But for Milan to be going to Paris Saint-Germain and getting turned over like that, mm. and, not, and not because it's a bad team, but actually because of just a, a, a point in their history. Now, all that said, I do think we're in a situation where Syria is potentially becoming... Europe's second league again, um, which is, I mean, like, again, incredible for anyone in the group. <laughs> you know, anyone was conscious in the nineties and a football fan, mm. but um, it, it's maybe best positioned to be the next league after the Premier League. There's a massive gap between Premier League and everyone else. But what's helping Syria at the moment, I suppose, is actually the demise of Juventus has now they are resurgent, I suppose, and looking quite good this season. 
but it's it suddenly created this competitiveness with with big historic clubs that creates like excitement, that creates interest again. And when you talk about a, a league or a team selling itself, I think that's absolutely crucial. I mean, I, I look at um, my kids and their mates who obviously watch a lot more European football than we did at a similar age, simply because of availability. Yeah. They're far more interest in Serie A than they do in La Liga because there's the sense that anyone could win it. And that is a big deal. It's it's a mm. really, really big deal. Now, we marked, and I marked from quite an early stage this season and this pre-season that Inter were the favourites. I think they've lived up to that so far. But they're not completely overwhelming favourites. No. It's not, it's, it's, it's not no. impossible that one of two, three, four other teams could have a genuine crack for, for, for Serie A. But as Miguel said, I've, I think they're particularly well set to to knock out football and particularly with the ability to change it up. I think that is absolutely crucial. The fact that they've got the experience and the ability to do something different on, on the fly. Na- Napoli, on the other hand, I think look absolutely miles off what they were this season. Well, and yeah. not, But not just domestically, Dotton. I think if you look at these games so far, I thought they played pretty well against Real Madrid, but... You know that that was more entertaining. That's that's not the sort of performance that's going to make you a Champions yeah. League contender. Like you said, there are, appear to be a, a genuine gap between them and Real Madrid in the bits where Bellingham really got it on and they really accelerated into the game. The other two games, the first one at Braga, they were incredibly lucky to win. This one that they've just won at Union yeah. Berlin. Not only did Union have their chances and had a goal disallowed in the first half, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it feels to me, especially with Aussie men out, they're leaning really hard on Kvadat yeah. And it's it's lucky for them that after that stunted pre-season that he had, he started to find his form again. Yeah. He's been in great form in recent but, but there is, I mean, there is an element of, um, well, maybe just a little bit kind of, just, yeah, I think, in Abelie's condition, because what happened this time last season was basically lightning in a bottle really wasn't it I mean it was it was unrepeatable in some ways it was just a, a, a number of factors came together but certainly to unrepeatable with, with this coach isn't it well yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but even with even if Spalletti was still here say it would really be like it just it just feels so many things came together having that kind of that initial spell in you think it felt like a good point for him to leave it just like <laughs> that. that's that's perfect I'm going to leave it there almost <laughs> But well, I'm for Spelling himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah. Uh, possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like. But I think, but like, I think there was more to it. If you're not like obviously, like it was yeah, just, for sure. I mean, the level yeah. they went to. I, I wonder when, if we can go back to Milan for a moment, uh, because that perhaps is the surprising uh, result of the three Italian clubs. I wonder whether, you know, we have to say that to a certain extent. Um, Although they looked terrible. I'm not saying yeah, that yeah. they didn't look uh, terrible, but to a certain extent, did we not witness Mbappe back, you know, or as back as he's been for a while? Absolutely. He was excellent, but he wasn't man of the match. The man of the match was Warren Zaya Emery, mm-hmm. who's just brilliant. And you can talk all you want about um getting the academy system right and all the rest of it. And Luis Enrique talked about it afterwards. He said, uh, well, he's, he's a great example to um, the, the kids in the, in, the, in the youth academy at PSG. And I thought, no, he's not. That's like saying Bellingham's an example. They're not. They're freaks of nature. You can't talk about a player who's 
player of a generation kind of potential and go, there you go, kids, it's easy. He can do it, you can do it. No, but he didn't because mean that, it like that. that that's though, not true, he? is it? Yeah, but he didn't mean it like that. I'm sure he didn't mean it like mm, that. Yeah, I, maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe he didn't. I, I, I think if you got somebody, because all the players, all the younger players always say, oh gosh, you know, we learn so much from these other, you know, players, even yeah, though true. they're superhuman, mm. uh, just to have them there, yeah. lifts your own game up. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that made him look so good and Milan so deficient, and maybe the thing that you're getting at in terms of, Zaire Emery's work ethic. I mean, if we go back a year, he's 16, and Christoph Galtier, a different coach, is saying, I've got no problems including him as a starter in the Champions League game. No problem at all. He's ready for it. But what Zaire Emery has done is he's gone away, and not just has he got a year's more experience in the tank, he's muscled up. And I think that's a massive difference. You look at the first goal that he creates for Mbappe, a couple of Milan players try to foul him, and he just brushes them off. You know, quite easily and he, he doesn't he doesn't look like a, a hulking figure but just a subtle little bit of muscle yeah. that he's put on and the ability to really accelerate away from players what you were talking about about him being an example okay like maybe his talent isn't matchable but you're right maybe the work rate maybe the commitment to improve when you're already really good is, is something that you can improve upon and it, it, it sort of struck me as well when you compare that to where Milan are, they they improved so much last season from the season before, where they they were in the Champions League for the first time in a, a long while with a largely young team, and they showed a, a better ability to manage matches last season. But you think you're right. Where is the progression from last season? To me, they look like a worse team than they were last season, despite going out there and investing in players like like Pulisic, who. We all know can have his good days, but just it didn't affect the game at all yesterday, yeah. did he? Pulisic, oh, he, it's maybe a little bit, um, I suppose you'd say disappointing where his career's gone in that sense. And obviously, he's had injuries, but he's one of those players that feels like he can only excel in a very specific set of circumstances. Mm. And uh, he's, yeah, a bit, he's a bit of a counter-attacking player as well, uh, just because of that turn of pace. But I suppose this thing about Milan, I mean, obviously, there's a, even allowing for the signings of the summer, there's clearly a kind of greater long-term patience here. The other thing is long-term, too much long-term patience can sometimes lead to an element of... Um, Stagnation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're here this week um, uh, because, Miguel, uh, because it, it feels like we are also, going back to your fan de cercle, uh, are we looking at the possibility of two giants of European football, Ajax on the one hand, uh, and Leon, on the other hand, possibly being relegated, and it, it, if if we are, if we're facing that prospect, how can we explain that? I mean, well, the, I might leave Leon to Andy uh, as as the, as the expert, but the Ajax, you have to. yeah. Well, sorry, sorry, yeah. Let me take away But but the Ajax situation, um, I mean, it is actually quite traceable, and it it there's no other way to put it. Really, it does go back to quite. Um, a really distasteful story, which was obviously uh, Marco Mark Overmars having to leave the club because of photos he sent to female members of staff. Um, I don't think he he was essentially for the modern direction. That was two three seasons ago, wasn't it? But it's the after effect now and all the sales because it basically he was responsible for a change in direction in 2017 when he got more power. He um he he affected the the wage bill. He had a lot of contacts in recruitment. 
So suddenly Ajax, I mean, and this is something we've, we've come back to a lot on the show today about uh, uh, buying low and selling high. Ajax basically mastered that for a period. We're kind of balancing a nice, we're bringing players like Tadic back or Daily Blind. Um, so they, they had that exactly right. And I mean, the thinking was at that point, around kind of 2021, was that they were going to become, and especially after 2019 Champions League semi-final, they were essentially going to become the Bayern of the Netherlands. And since then, it's just been complete disarray. Um, I mean, they, 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 of course, had to get rid of them. I mean, no, no, that, that isn't part of the discussion. It's more just, I suppose, contextualising why they're here. Decisions since then have um, have probably just not, not been good. Evander Saar was asked to get more involved in recruitment. It wasn't a role he was suited to in the way his former yeah, club teammate was. Um, they... They've probably made, and he's gone as well now, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he's, he's obviously had his own his own um, health issues, uh, and uh, there was a sense maybe he was kind of just. I think he 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 wanted a change as well. Um, they've made bad appointments from there, and Mislintat has obviously who had a great great um, reputation from Dortmund. He's been criticised this season, but I mean, it almost feels well. He's a little bit kind of just fallen into the storm a bit because there's just been. And and Ajax are about to now go through. They're, they're taking action, even beyond the manager, who's I mean just the latest of a string of bad appointments. But they're they're changing um, executive at an executive level of the club. I mean, this is why I suppose these sort of clubs, for all the kind of this unprecedented position Ajax are in, why they eventually get out of it because they make these they, they make these changes and have the power to bring in the right or have the finances to bring in the right right people to insulate them to a certain degree. But it is absolutely remarkable. They're this they're this low, the you know the, the, that famous saying. I think it was when West Ham were about to be uh, relegated. Famous saying was, "No, they're too big to go down, or too good to go down." But in the case of Ajax, too mm. big, surely to go down. You'd think so because there's quite a lot of time left, but in the season. But we we, we can't underrate what a bin fire it's been so far. Um, and the sense is, as Miguel was setting up there, it's not really going to get much. Better any any time in the in the immediate future. Now you would assume that there is enough talent on the books to get them out of this. You would assume the same thing about Leon, but of course it's it's not just about the the players on the pitch. You know, it, there's so much else to it, and I think you look at last weekend when they lost four three at Utrecht, who are bottom of the table going into the the, the, the game. Um, Ajax go two nil down, defending awfully by the way, an area of the team in which they've invested heavily over over the last little while, um, but still a, a spate of mistakes. They come back to lead 3-2 and you think everything's fine. And then they manage to concede too late on, and well, the equaliser is in what, the 70, 71st minute, something something like that, and then concede the, the winner late on um, in the middle of a, a couple of stoppages for, again, objects being thrown onto the, the, the pitch, which caused various delays. But and and Morris Stain, the, the the coach is is, is signed uh, sacked after this, and I do feel a little bit of sympathy for him. Not that he's done a great job or anything like that, but to come from Sparta Rotterdam, uh, where he did a pretty good job, and take over a club of this dimension by Dutch standards that's in such disarray at the top. I mean, I understand Miguel's point about how Mislintat walked into a situation that was already bad, but his transfer dealings are under the microscope yeah. for a reason. They've, yeah. spe- they've spent a fortune to get worse. 
this this season. There's there's no two ways about it. I think really one of the key points is the bit at the start of preseason with Dusan Tadic, the one of the very few survivors from the 2019 Champions League semi-finalists, turns around to the the, the club, um, like really at the back end of last season, and says, "You know what? I don't really want to spend the last." couple of years of my career walking through treacle we've had a great time let's call it quits it gets them to let him go and and goes off to Fenerbahce so to I think a lot of people looked at that and thought well if he'd left for another Champions League club we could understand but Fenerbahce are, you know they're a big club but they're only in the Conference League but really you have to look at Tadic now and think it's foresight he knows exactly what's going to happen next maybe not quite as as bad as it's become but he's he thought, well, I know good Ajax and this is a really long way from that and it's going to be a slog to get us back to a point where, where we're competitive and I'm not up for that. I, I like the quotes from the former Ajax uh, stars, Wesley Snyder, for example, saying it doesn't matter who you put in as coach, the players just aren't good enough. But I think even more telling... I wouldn't quite agree with that one in the relegation yeah. zone. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, talking about relegation zone, this is what Van der Vaart has said. At this moment, Ajax have to start thinking of themselves as relegation candidates. What does that actually mean well, in that's, terms of that's how, weird how thing. they set up? Well, this is the thing, because they've got a squad that's assembled to go and win stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is a very, very different <laughs> sort of squad than one that has to fight relegation. I mean, it was one of the most... You talked of, of, of quotes from people concerned. One of the ones that really stuck with me from this weekend was the owner of Leon, John Textor, coming out after they'd lost to Clermont. The only other winless side at home, the only other winless side in the division. I think most people who watch French football regularly would agree that the, the weakest side in, in Liga. And he stood there and said, there's no way we're going to get relegated. It's like, when are you going to wake up? You've got three points from eight games. <laughs> They'll wake up. Let's be, let's be realistic. They'll wake up. It might be too late. Is it slightly different though? The prospect of Leon being relegated um, from uh, the uh, French top flight, is it slightly different from that that Ajax, who have been in the Dutch top flight for 106 years, mm. you would have thought that that just counts for, you know, permanence rather than... Whereas Lyon, there's more competition for the top teams in France mm. than there is in, in Holland, I would have thought. But when you look at where Lyon are, you know, they've... They've they've consistently had the second or third biggest budget in the league, and that is still the case. So this this should this should never be happening. Um, I think it's very poor management from Textor, and it's it's a terrible message. The, the the one that I was just saying about don't worry about relegation. It's a terrible message to, to to put out in the short term, at least. You need to deal with the reality. It's something that say Leverkusen and Xavi Alonso did very well about this time last year. Where rather than saying oh, we're in the relegation zone by mistake, they they thought actually <laughs> <all> are, yeah. <laughs> let's let's deal with this as it is. And they had Alonso to be practical. They had Robert Andrich, their midfielder, who's just broken into the German team to to lean on. You wonder where those players are for Leon. You know there are players of quality, but you know when you said the right players to get out of this sort of situation. Mm. That's something that I don't really necessarily think they have. And I think like any sinking ship. The rats are all squeaking. And you see that with this week, for example, where Fabio Grosso spends the, the new coach who looks totally out of his depth, by the way, after after four games. Um, Jerome Rotten, uh, the former um, PSG and Monaco winger, 
talked on his radio programme and he said, I've spoken to some of the players in the dressing room, none of whom I'm going to name, very experienced players, of course you're not. And uh, he, he, he said, um, some of them have said to me, he's one of the worst coaches we've ever played under. Now, rather than say, right, he's entitled to his opinion, whatever, Grosso spends Tuesday having a team meeting trying to find the mole and uh, then says, oh, you must be tired from all these exertions. I cancel training ahead of Marseille away on Sunday. Now, uh, there's only one way that's going to end, and it's not a good way for the team. So Textor can talk about everything's fine. I'm going to like give uh, the, the club money to spend in the, in the transfer window. One, I'm not 100% sure he knows what he's doing, and he never did. And even if Jean-Michel Olas did a bad job in his last couple of years of, of presidency, I think the worst thing he did is selling the club to a guy he knew had a lot of money tied up in other stuff and maybe didn't quite know what he was doing and didn't understand the landscape of French football. And the problem they've got with, with Textor is he's, he's unprepared to accept the situation. He's got some players who are unprepared and unprepared to accept the situation. And he's talking about A, backing the wrong manager and B, talking about the transfer window. If they don't get the results between now and January, they can bring in who they like in the transfer window. It won't make any difference. And that actually, is a f- what's the conversation in France now about club ownership? Is that kind of echoing this in the UK, I suppose? Because it's, especially, the problem is actually maybe even more acute in France, given, whereas in the UK, in any, say, multi-club project, say, it's a Premier League club that would be the tip of it. Whereas in France, they're often now, as we've seen with the Strasbourg-Chelsea situation. Mm. Uh, but is it, is, it, is, it, is it provoking any sort of... Um, well, not not really from a Leon perspective, because the thought is, I think in in terms of, is there enough funding for all the clubs? That that is the question really with the with the Eagle Football Project. I think you're far more likely to be put out if you're a Botafogo fan because mm. you know a couple of your best players could get pinched at, at any point because Leon is 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 very much the priority. I think what Leon are maybe suffering from a little bit, there are a number of things they're suffering from, but I think in terms of Textor's management of of the club, one of the big things they're suffering from is his frustration about not being able to have more influence at Crystal Palace. Because, of course, he bought a large part of the club. They've got, what, 42, 43% of the shares there, Eagle Football. And he thought he would be able to apply his models, his ideas of recruitment, developing players, all that sort of stuff. But it's Steve Parrish who runs the show there. So he's eventually looking for an exit from Crystal, Crystal Palace. Palace. But, you know, how how do you sell that amount of stock when you, a text has seen himself, you're not really going to have that much influence at the club? So what that means is instead, he's testing out loads of ideas at Leon, And testing is really the phrase we should be using at the moment because there are a lot of failed experiments. Very quickly, um, two different teams, two different histories, two different leagues, two different countries. Which of Lyon and Ajax are more likely in either of your views or both your views to be relegated? Lyon. Lyon? Lyon, yeah. Both Lyon. Okay, it's that time when we ask you to recommend a game of the week for us um, with a food pairing of course there's lots to choose from uh, do you want to go first Andy? Um, I will and following on from our discussion a couple of big games this weekend but it's, it's huge it's, in Italy it's got it's got to be 
Oh, you're not going for the Classico either. Of course. Let's wait, let's wait. El Classico, <laughs> you, El Classico, you can't actually watch on yeah. television okay. in, in yeah. the UK. 3.15 yeah. three, three mm. Saturday afternoon. You'll find a way. I know what you I lot won't. are like. You'll I find won't. a way. I won't, because I'm too old to know the way. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, know, you know what? That's a very convincing alibi, and we'll, we'll, we'll stick with that one. Um, I'm saying uh, Sunday, 1.30 p.m., PSV Eindhoven against Ajax. The biggest game in Dutch football. Sorry, fine. Yeah, it is the yeah. biggest game in Dutch football. They're having a great time in the Champions League. They don't care what I think anyway. I think <laughs> the fact that PSV are absolutely flying under Peter Bosch, a former Ajax coach who's very much enjoying lording it up at, at, at the moment, doing okay in the, the Champions League after that early defeat at Arsenal as, as well. And Ajax, second from... Bottom of the the, 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 already, the table. I mean, I will I will be I will be in Spain, so I will be enjoying it with some light tapas, and mm-hmm. you know maybe it's so easy for PSV that Peter Bosch will be able to do the same. And Miguel, well, I mean, we've got Inter Roma, we've got Napoli Milan, uh, but ultimately, I suppose being half Spanish, you can't overlook the classical. Really. Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. Just checking, just checking. Crook- yeah. and some sort of fancy croquetas with yeah. them. Yeah. Good. Is it is it Bellingham's Classico? It was Bellingham's league now, isn't it? Yeah, actually, I mean, given the discussion we've had earlier on about kind of the rise and fall of leagues, Spain is obviously going through this kind of financial recalibration. And it was that sense that, I mean, Madrid have actually been really clever in that regard. And Mm, and now, okay, whatever but kind of, you know, uh, clauses and things like that, (laughs) given Bellingham's status already, 105 million euros suddenly seems, they've basically bought a global star for that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and actually, just one more thing we mentioned earlier about Dortmund. I meant to say this: Will we look back and if, when in five years' time, when it's the world of Bellingham, Haaland, and Mbappe, will we think what was that Dortmund team doing that they didn't do? <laughs> yeah, talking about one more thing. Thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 